Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Every Sunday on the Independent Film Channel, they're a rock band by night and a kid's band by day. It's Z-Rock, an all-new episode. You're supposed to be our lead singer. Lead us! I can't lead morons! Is there any chance instead of opening up for Kiss tonight, we're opening up for Mini Kiss? Z-Rock, the show critics call a great A treat, returns. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Don't miss an all-new episode of the IFC original hit comedy, Z-Rock, every Sunday night at 11, 10 Central. The rock gods are smiling on us. Only on IFC. I feel alive! Um, hi, this is Biff Buffer from Saxon. You're listening to Talking Metal. Welcome to the labyrinth. Rock off your eyebrows. Hi, this is Ian Hill from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Everybody, this is Rob Halford, the metal god from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hello, this is Tony Iommi, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Luke from Sound and Fury, and you're listening to Talking Metal. This is Michael Grant with Endeavor Raster, and you're listening to Talking Metal. What's up, Robin X? This is Billy Milano from SOD and MOD, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Ozzy Osbourne, and you're listening to Talking Metal. <laughs> yes, this is Jim Brewer, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Vizio. You're rocking with Talking Metal. Fucking it. Everybody, this is Gilby Clark, and we're talking metal. Hi, this is Phil Cohen from Def Leppard, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is John Five from Rob Zombie, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Hank Up from Children of Bodom, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Sebastian Bach. Turn it up. The best hard rock, the best heavy metal, Talking Metal, a podcast hosted by Mark Striegel and John Astronomy. Available through iTunes and most other podcast providers. Feel the power. Feel the glory. TalkingMetal.com Hey guys, welcome to Talking Metal. We have Saxon Talk, Black Sabbath Talk, and uh, what else, John? We have our very special guest, the metal expert from VH1. Eric Bones of Still Bone and Still also appeared on Talking Metal on Fuse. How you doing, Eric? Hey, guys. How's it going? I hear we're going to talk about Saxon. That is Eric's favorite group. Is that true? Yeah, let's get into a little Saxon right now. This is the title track off of Metalhead.
That was Metalhead by Saxon. We have Biff coming up in just a few minutes. And I want to talk to Eric about Saxon. Now, Eric, you are, I would say, an expert on the entire career of Saxon. Let's hit some of the highlights of the Saxon discography right now on Talking Metal. Uh, early albums, 1980s. What was the first album? 79? 79 was Saxon Saxon, yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people would probably associate their knowledge or association or even hearing of Saxon probably closer to the early 80s with the uh, Strong Arm of the Law album, Wheels of Steel, Denim and Leather, those first three records that kind of are sandwiched between the self-titled debut and then uh, Power and the Glory, which was their big foray into the States. So a lot of people in the States kind of know them from Power and the Glory on, but uh, if you go back, those first, the second, third, and fourth records are have a lot of the hits that they're still playing today. So yeah, And I have to admit that, that come the 90s, I kind of lost track of Saxon until recently or a few years back when I started getting back into them, but there was a lot of really important records for them that came out in the 90s and into the 2000s. What are some of your favorites? Well, I think their, their comeback to me, really, uh, worldwide, if not just stateside, was the 97 album, Unleash the Beast, which finally came out in the States, which, unlike their other records, were only available on import, like Dogs of War from 1995, for, uh, for a lot of people, that you just couldn't get their records. And, you know, this is pre-internet, so couldn't find the records, you couldn't find Saxon kind of thing. And uh, so 97 was Un- Unleash the Beast, and that was a great record, really monster production with, uh, and it came out the same year as Jugulator from Judas Priest. So it was two big English bands coming back, you know, kind of post-grunge, hangover, all of that. 97 was kind of the resurgence of a lot of metal, but yeah, definitely for Saxon, that was the comeback. Cool. And we checked out Saxon a few weeks ago, and I say we, Eric and myself, while John, you were across town at the Duff McKagan show. Let's switch gears real quick. What went down that night at the Duff show? The Duff gig was out of control. I was lucky enough to hang out during the sound check, which was really cool. I ran into uh, uh, some of the guys from Duff's band and also some of the people from Spider Rockets who were opening up the show. And and then, of course, Bumblefoot, uh, who was there during the afternoon. And uh, what transpired on stage that night was Duff went out, did a kick-ass show. And, and what I think is great is that this was a, a legendary bass player playing – some classics from, you know, a lot of different bands. They did a medley, you know, including even songs from groups like Journey, uh, the Stooges. Uh, they did a Guns N' Roses song and uh, Rolling Stones, and it was great. I, I think that anybody who didn't get to the show, and of course you guys were at another great show, but really missed out because this was one chance to see a legendary guy play some legendary tracks. But the highlight for me was when Ron Bumblefoot Thal, our friend, of course, uh, went up on stage and took part in this great medley. And uh, it was really neat to see one of the historic original GNR guys on stage with one of the new GNR guys. So I thought that was really, really great. Cool. Old GNR and new GNR kind of coming together. A lot of people on the message boards were saying that Bumblefoot was at Duff's wedding and was actually friends with Duff. Uh, not true, guys, by the way. Uh, that was the first time they ever actually met in person was uh, right before they went on stage that night. So uh, pretty cool stuff. 
there was something that Duff said that I thought was really neat. He was talking about how Bumblefoot was one of the, the great new young talented guitar players out there. And, you know, he was obviously familiar with his playing because at one point he goes, even freakishly good. I thought that was a, a funny uh, way of describing how great Bumblefoot is because he really is freakishly good. He's not just a guy that can play the guitar really well. He can do some crazy stuff on the guitar. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, would you refer to him as young? Yeah, well, you know what it is? is that's what Duff said, I guess. Maybe compared to Duff, me, you, and Bumblefoot are all the same age. And uh, so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I'm thinking I'm not young anymore, which would mean that that was not a correct adjective. But I guess compared – I think what Duff meant was young as in breaking into the mainstream music business right now, which, of course, Bumblefoot has had albums out and everybody's known who he is. But, uh, you know, I would say that, you know – Bumblefoot is really making uh, like a big name in the last five years or so. Cool. We're going to get back to Saxon in a minute. Eric, I want to get your take on the lawsuit that went down about two weeks ago between Ozzy Osbourne and Tony Iommi. Have you heard about this? Ozzy is now suing Tony Iommi for the Black Sabbath name. He wants to have, he's saying in court, he wants to have 50% ownership of the name, which Tony Iommi now owns exclusively. Uh, no, I have not heard of that. Uh, I, I assumed, as probably everyone else did, by Heaven and Hell touring, that kind of was the agreement. You know, Dio touring with Iommi, let's tour not under the Sabbath moniker, let's have it be Heaven and Hell. It, sound, it seemed like everything was kind of, you know, all cool, and uh, turns out it's not. It's a shame. Yeah, so uh, what's, what's crazy is that I kind of figured that as well, and I, I think that's probably one of the reasons that Heaven and Hell did choose to tour under that name. Um, however, that album that came out, the Greatest Hits album, was called Black Sabbath, right? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing for me personally. Um, I believe that Ozzy has the right to 25% of any of the stuff that that he did with Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, and Bill Ward. But what scares me about this lawsuit is... To me, it's about the name Black Sabbath and about how that name is, you know, in the in the papers, Ozzy and Sharon say all this stuff about preserving the name for, you know, history's sake and all this stuff. And, and here's what scares me. As much as I love Ozzy, I mean, hell, I named my dog after him. I love the guy. I love those first two Ozzy solo albums more than anything, even Bark at the Moon and Ultimate Sin, all this stuff. I love, I love everything the guy's done. But it scares me that somehow the Ozzy Osbourne camp might have creative control over those Black Sabbath albums that did not include Ozzy. And those albums fall under the Black Sabbath name, regardless of the fact that Heaven and Hell is touring as Heaven and Hell, or Black Sabbath is touring as Heaven and Hell. Um, and and they do not... I mean, Jack, his kid, has said before that he doesn't like Dio, he doesn't like the Dio era, so eventually Ozzy's going to die, eventually Sharon's going to die, and and, you know, we could potentially have, you know, someone having a big say in how Black Sabbath is marketed who doesn't respect a good portion of what Black Sabbath is. Well, you know, it's very interesting because one of the things in the – I don't necessarily think it was the lawsuit, but it was the message that Ozzy wrote – said 
it said, uh, I'm not quoting it verbatim, but it said something like, Tony, uh, you know, God forbid anything happens to you, but under the current, uh, you know, status of, of the name with you having complete ownership, you know, wouldn't what, – what if something happened to you? Then what would happen to the name? It was almost similar to what you were saying is – and I think Ozzy is saying like what's it going to go to one of your family members and, and then neither me or my family or Bill or Geezer's family will have any say about it. So, uh, you know, it's funny is Ozzy kind of brought up that same point in reverse. What, what I think is interesting is that I kind of in my mind thought that they already had all of this worked out. And, and there's no doubt that you cannot – gloss over how important Ronnie James Dio was to Black Sabbath. Yeah, not knowing the details of the case, and all four members are still alive. I I was kind of, you know, hoping, I would hope that there would be sort of a, you know, school chap agreeance handshake that, you know, everything's been parsed out legally, probably for songwriting royalties, publishing royalties, all of that kind of stuff. Who owns the name is scary uh, for what, for the points that Mark and both you, John, said. Um, but to bring a bit of you know comedy to it, uh, what's going to happen to the 1995 album Forbidden, produced by Ernie C from uh, Body Count? Uh, what's going to happen to that record? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and here, here's that's that's a good question because we look back at, at two classic records that you know just are two of my favorite records of all time: Diary of a Madman and Blizzard of Oz. And what happened to those albums when when Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslick pissed off the Aussie camp suddenly they were removed history was changed and here he, this is my worry with with the Ozzy Osbourne camp holding that having a say in that name suddenly Tony is outvoted because you know Bill Ward will side with the Aussie camp and geezer could go either way you know potentially even siding with Ozzy because, you know, remember Geezer toured with Ozzy solo as his bassist and has always, you know, been real fond of, of Ozzy. So at least not always, but, you know, cause in the recent decibel, he actually said some, some negative stuff, but has, has had a, a love hate relationship with Ozzy as far as we can tell. But what if those three guys somehow decided, and I doubt Geezer would say this, but what if, what if, Ward and the Ozzy camp decided that they have to go back, and from now on, the Heaven and Hell album, the Mob Rules album, anything that it, forbidden for that matter, can no longer be marketed as Black Sabbath, and he has to change the name to Tony Iommi's Black Sabbath, or just to- yeah, or just Tony Iommi, or they want Mob Rules now to be called Heaven and Hell Mob Rules, and it can no longer be marketed. I mean, because they have changed history before. Right. Well, that that's interesting. Now, what I think would and should stop something like that from happening is. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Tony has been the one guy who's been on every Black Sabbath album. Yes, he has. Yeah. Uh, and correct me if I, I, I'm not sure about this, but didn't after the kind of uh, the dust settled from the replacement of Mike Borden on those those Ozzy solo albums on the drums and who was replaced on who uh, Robert Trujillo played bass, uh, you know, replaced those tracks. Then then Ultimate Sin was just kind of quietly deleted from the catalog, not not available. Yeah. You know what? I noticed that on, yeah. on possibly iTunes. I was looking for that record, and I just didn't see it at all. 
Yeah, I, I've I've heard that before, and it is a you can still buy it in stores. You can still buy the Ultimate Sin on OzzyOsbourne.com, but I don't know why it's not on iTunes. Uh, and where did you hear it was deleted from the catalog? If you read around online, I just maybe it was a wiki post or something. Just over the years, I've heard that, and I went around looking for it. And I, I mean, I have the record, and, and I have those remasters that came out in the mid '90s that were. Were they all original players? You know, not not the re re remasters. That might be you know. available on iTunes. That remastered version may be, but I'm not. 100%. I don't think it is. No, it but is. at least a, a few months ago, it wasn't. But I think this is kind of telling to what we're talking about here. Is that you know weird things happen to the catalog? Now, who's to blame for that? Is that label or is that an Aussie camp? management decision you know when an album goes missing it, who cares about that album as much because you can go you can still go find it on ebay or something like that but it's telling and more concerning when it's effective of the, affecting the whole catalog and then when you have things like that issue that comes up where you know mob rules comes out and it's not called a black sabbath record anymore it's called a heaven and hell record i think that's the changing history is what's scary about it all yeah and it is interesting to note, when I, I was a producer on one of the Metal Moments shows uh, on VH1, I was told, do not use pictures of Ozzy with the big hair. We snuck a few in anyways, but there was an MTV Network's law that, that he, anything from that ultimate sin time was a no-no. We weren't supposed to show it, and that was supposedly... ...if that's true or not. Remember when we were in Las Vegas and Ozzy walked into the uh, room that we were going to do the interview uh, with him in, and the people from the radio station had a bunch of like stuff out to get signed, and one of them was a picture of him with that big hair, and Ozzy made a comment. He was like, oh, what was I thinking at that point? Well, anyways, we better get into the sax, and it looks like the battery's almost dead on a recorder here. So, But my, my opinion is Ozzy should have, and his family for that matter, should have one-fourth one creative control over Everything Black Sabbath with Ozzy, but that the other, you know, the the name in general, which represents more than that. Granted, the history books will will always reflect that as the classic lineup. I, I can't argue that as much as I love some of the albums he wasn't on, in addition to the ones he was on. But it, it just scares me that that something could potentially happen where where if Iomi only has a fourth control of the name, that he could be forced to somehow rewrite history and no longer call those, all those Black Sabbath albums, you wouldn't be allowed to call them Black Sabbath, possibly. I mean, it's a long shot, who knows, and I love Ozzy, and you know, I want to end with saying that. Two quick things, and one I've actually even already forgot. But the the thing is, I love Ozzy as well, and and without a doubt, um, you know, when I think of Black Sabbath, of course you're going to think of Ozzy. And I remembered what the two things I want to say. One of them is that there was one of those officially Black Sabbath records that I don't think Tony wanted to call Black Sabbath record, but I think the the label forced him to call it Black Sabbath. But I think he was intending. It not to be a Sabbath record and to be a Tony Iommi solo album, and I I would have to look it up to find out what it is. But the other thing is that, that was that was the one with uh, that uh, seven seven star with um, uh, you know Glenn Hughes on vocals, yeah. Tony and it was called Tony Iommi's Black Sabbath. Oh, okay. See, very good. Thank you for that. Now the other thing is here's Ozzy's point. Ozzy is saying, and and this is like one of those things that happen in courts of law, and sometimes this stuff works. Ozzy is saying that. After he left, Black Sabbath was never the same, and then it got to a point where it was, you know, like less than even when when Dio was with them, and it took Ozzy coming back 
and Black Sabbath doing Ozfest and all these things to resurrect the Black Sabbath name to the level it was once at. And for that reason, and for that reason, that's why he's saying that you know he 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 should win this case. So it's really interesting. It's 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 interesting. Um, Again, I love Ozzy as Mark does, um, but I also love Tony, and you know, I hope they can work it out. Well, I, I, that, to that point, I think I think Ozzy has a point there. I don't know if legally, maybe or not, but from an opinion base, uh, yeah, Black Sabbath kind of teetered on for years, putting out crappier and crappier albums. Basically, I mean, a revolving cast. Tony had some good riffs mixed in with weird production, strange management decisions poor touring, just all the Spinal Tap things you can side in their corner. They didn't. All the Black Sabbath albums came out and went straight to the cutout pit. I mean, year after year after year, all these records, different singers. You know, Tony Martin was there for a while. You had all these good, good players, too, but the, the bands never gelled, you know, and they were, you know, kind of after Seventh Star, it was just kind of, they, they would come out with a kind of a pretty good solid record like TYR, something like that, and then there would be a follow-up, like, what is that record, you know? Um but uh, yeah, I hope they I hope they can work it all out. I mean, it, it sounds sounds like there's just too many uh, people in the room making all these decisions. I think if the four of them could decide, it would work out. And I just have to say, I do love Glenn Hughes. He's, he's yeah. my, one of the greatest singers of of all time, in my opinion. Definitely a great bass player too. Okay, well, we're going to get into the Saxon interview now with Biff Byford. Eric, what do you want to play? Let's go with a song off "Innocence Is No Excuse" from '85. Everybody up. Awesome followed by the interview with Biff that Eric and I conducted at B.B. King's Blues Club. And then we'll end with some new Saxon music. There will be links up in today's show notes that will take you directly to iTunes, and you can download the new Saxon album. Watch Z Rock on the Independent Film Channel. Go to TalkingMetal.com. Do us a favor. Click through the banner, the IFC Z Rock banner at the top of the page, and go check out the uh, Z Rock stuff online. Here is Saxon.
We are here at BB King's in New York City with Biff from Saxon. Biff, it's been a while since you've been to the States. Welcome back. Yes, yeah, nice to be back. Uh, we've been waiting a while, quite a while to come back. And why has it been so long since you've been to the United States? Oh, various problems, one thing or another. A couple of houses burnt down, a few wives, you know. No, just different things, you know. Different things didn't quite match up. But uh, hey, we're here now and the album's cooking, so that's cool. Well, tell us about the new record. Well, it's round. It's round? And it's got um, 13 tracks on it. And it seems to me like it spans the from super heavy to almost commercial, you know, radio type tracks. Were you were you purposely trying to kind of uh, tap into things that you've done in the past with that, or were yeah. you going for a new sound? Yeah, I think um, we weren't really, we didn't really have a you know a plan. We just went where it took us, really. But I think it's a bit of an album that's got our blues influences in there. And, um, you know, our metal stuff as well. So it's a bit of a mixture. I think it's pretty unique, actually, that, you know, we're able to do that, sort of, you know, play sort of more blues-based music and then play some more, more sort of, uh, you know, frantic metal riffs, basically. So, yeah, I mean, that's just how it ended up. But, I mean, we've been, I think we've been getting to this point over the last three albums, actually. I think it's been moving that way. Uh Biff, this is Eric uh, Bonin-Steele, old friend of the show. Uh, I think more than the last three albums, as an American Saxon fan, I think Unleash the Beast started the rise of Saxon in the United States. Mm -hmm. and we've only gotten two visits from you. Yeah, you've on the Metalhead right. album. Yeah, and it, and you yeah, know. I think I think really it all started for us <clears throat> with with the chemistry of the band on Metalhead. Yeah, which uh, which was a really heavy dark album for Saxon to do and um, it brought in a lot of young fans in Europe to and, and, and I, th I think to Metalhead's credit too I think uh, Dogs of War would be a record as well uh, yeah definitely but, but yeah. I think like you were yeah. saying like multiple problems before Chateaus burned down yeah, and, I, d and I, wives, just think, I just think, I think that, labels you know, and things we like didn't that, come to America during that period so yeah. it's difficult for us to gauge uh, we know what airplay we got um, yeah. which was pretty cool uh, uh, but I, I just think that at the moment everything's focused uh, with the band and people are really, uh, you know, because it's our 30th anniversary, I think that brings in a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we still are quite a big cult band in America, which is pretty cool to be after 30 years, actually. Yeah. So, you know, we're not members of the Platinum Club. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're sort of... Uh, you know, we, we're, we're pure, pure people. We, we play the music we believe in well, the, the, for I, our I fans, always, you know. I always thought of you guys as the, uh, the turtle versus the rabbit. You know, <laughs> the, these young bands come up who now claim, the, you know, and, and honestly so, like bands like Lamb of God and these mm. really heavier bands who you play a lot of bills with in the European, right, yeah, European yeah, yeah. festival yeah, yeah. circuit. Yeah. All, you know, love the Saxon and, and what you guys represent and what you've come from. Yeah. Uh, it's just interesting that quietly record sales have been going up. That's right, that's right. And obviously the younger guys that have joined the band, you know, I say younger guys, but they've been in 15 years, but yeah. they, br they bring a more modern edge to the band as well. You know, so we're able to play the more modern riffs, which, which blend with my melodic vocals quite well. So, you know, we're able to do that now, so which is pretty cool, actually. I think the chemistry of the band at the moment is really good, you know. Definitely, and on the new record, you have songs like uh, "Protect Yourself," which sound very modern to me, and 
then <clears throat> other songs like which Eric and I were just talking about live to rock which would sound almost like they're right out of the 80s you know so there's there's a wide variety of sounds on the new record yeah I mean uh, you know I think I think sometimes you know that that can be a double-edged sword because people like to have bands that sound you know that the 12 songs all sound the same and they're pretty much the same style um, but we we're, we're sort of um, we're actually beyond that now <laughs> we're really in into uh, into the music thing you know so we're not really trying to uh, you know we're not we're not a, a new band I, I must say though every album we write for us is the first album you know so that still get really excited by every record that you're doing yeah as, as we're writing it we get really excited if we're writing good stuff yeah definitely and um, you know I think that's why this sounds so fresh and, and sort of happening because um, you know, we, we, we really write them like they're our first album. I can't really describe it any better than that, you know. We have nothing, we dis disassociate ourselves with the present and the past, with all of the music, and we just lock ourselves in a room and, and, and work, you know. And when you look back on your career of really almost 20 albums, what are there certain albums that stand out as favorites more than others? For me, uh, the, yeah, I mean, every member of the band has different favorite albums, obviously, and uh, and obviously our fans um, pick really the the you know the more I think they tend to pick the more anthemic songs, you know, because we're we're very live. The band is a very live band, so you know the things that work live seem to be the people's favorites, which is obviously you know that's how it should be. But I like Metalhead. I really like that album. Yeah. That album really interests me when I hear it. And uh, but I like I like all the albums actually. I think I think since sort of solid ball of rock days, I think we've really you know really got it together. And um, you know that's quite a long time ago. And that's like 1991. Right. You know, so that's quite an old album now. But I think we learned quite a lot with solid ball of rock. And uh, you know we do sh we use one producer now. Charlie, we right? don't, we, yeah, Charlie, Charlie yeah. yeah. We don't, we don't experiment with producers anymore. We we used to experiment, and sometimes it was brilliant, and sometimes sometimes it really bites you in the ass, you know, that the guy's not in tune, he's not a team member, he's on his own thing, you know, just la la la, you know, he has a name to, to you know, a name to 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 keep up. So Charlie's pretty cool. I mean, he's he's pretty famous guy in Europe, but we like working with Charlie and. Um, you know, nobody's really the producer. It's a bit of a mixture, teamwork, which works for us. Cool. And uh, I wanted to talk recently, you joined Metallica on stage, one of the biggest selling bands of all time. And Saxon was such a big influence on Lars and James when they were growing up. How was it to actually step on stage and play Motorcycle Man with them? That was pretty cool, you know, 20, 26,000 people on the round. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it, yeah. And... Uh, you know, we're pretty big in France, so they gave me a good reception, the fans. So um, I think it's pretty cool that um, Metallica do that, so, you know, basically to say, you know, with their supporters in, in uh, Los Angeles way back. And uh, yeah, you, They opened up for you, right, way back yeah, in the early days? It was a second gig, uh, uh, so they told me. And, uh, you know, I mean, we had Metallica. We did four shows, um, two shows a day. And... Um, I think Rat opened up for us on the second day. Um, but, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, I remember seeing them. And, uh, you know, obviously it was Dave, Dave Mustaining there and, you know, the other guy that had the accident. But, you know, it was 
pretty pretty cool and um, I think they 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 sort of took a lot of the thrash element of our music that influenced them you know motorcycle man 20,000 feet all these you know really fast aggressive songs that we used to play so um, yeah it's pretty cool and you know we're friends we're friends now and uh, they're connected up again so that's pretty cool we like it we like the band anyway they're brilliant so you know they 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 put on a great live show this is what it's all about really Just out of curiosity, I, I know uh, a lot of my friends in Wales and UK, uh, in England, uh, always joke about me wanting to go to Barnsley. The Barnsley. Do, do Barnsley. Where, where do you where do you actually do you still live in France after after your yeah, home? Yeah, I live in France. Yeah, with, I'm thinking about moving back to to Yorkshire, but I'm not yeah. from Barnsley. Paul Quinn's from Barnsley. That was the band connection. Yeah, to that, that okay. was the connection. That's, that's the tip to the American fans. But I, I, just you know, I used to live yeah. in a small village um, in the Yorkshire Dales area. Okay. You know, so I wasn't really, I'm not really a city boy. You know, I'm a country boy. So, yeah. um, so that's why I always like to live in the country, probably, because of my youth in the countryside. But um, you know, it's Paul and. Um, uh, lived in in that in Barnsley and and uh, Steve Dawson and um, Graham Oliver lived in sort of that Rotherham Doncaster. So area. that's where that all comes from. And Pete okay. Gill, uh, Pete Gill gotcha. lived in Sheffield, so you know it's like a okay. bit of a triangle yeah. there, you know that um, South Yorkshire mm -hmm. basically that area. But I I'm from uh, I'm from West Yorkshire. It's no big deal. Yeah. You know, yeah, suppose it's like being from New York and New Jersey. I yeah, suppose, yeah. you know, it's like. But but when you <laughs> live there, the delineation is is clear. You know, here. Yeah, well, uh, totally. When you live there, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I was, mean, in, a, you know, I was in a big area, line. Yeah. You know, and you know, we didn't have a car or anything where I lived. Everything was on a bus. Here's another uh, non-album, non-new album related question. Mm -hmm. Where's the eagle tonight? Where's the eagle stored? Well, the, actually, the Eagles in Germany. We're refitting Germany. it at the moment for the big festivals coming up there. For Wacken and everything. Well, yeah. we're doing. Uh, we're doing. There's a big magazine in uh, in Germany called um, Hard Rock. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, Rock Hard. That's France. Hard Rock. Uh, rock Hard. Rock Hard and Germany. Right. Yeah, yeah. and um, we're playing their festival basically. Uh, I think, I think we get back on the 25th, and then the gigs on the 31st. So. The Eagle, that's the first time the Eagle's coming out again this year, so that'll be cool. Nice. I mean, we'd love to bring it to America, but obviously <laughs> it wouldn't even, fit Someday. Through, wouldn't even fit through the front doors. Anyway. Yeah, but yeah, I can hear its flapping wings. Yeah, it's, com it's, it's coming here yeah, soon. Right, well, obviously, it's <laughs> a bit of an American Eagle, you know. Yeah. First time I saw you guys was on uh, the tour you did with Motley Crue, Crusader. Right. Yeah, Heavy Penton opened, then you guys came on and stole the show. Any memories of that tour? Yeah, I mean, we, you have to read my book for the memories of the Motley Crue tour. Is there a book coming? Yeah. When I, the book came I out. I have a book out. It, it, oh, it's yeah, it's yeah. very expensive in the United States. We need yeah. to work on that. Yeah, but it is you, a good you, book, though. Yeah. You, you, hey, you, believe you. me. <laughs> There's nothing much comes back to me. It's a labor, <laughs> it's a labor of love, really. Yeah, but, no. uh, yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. I, I had to buy it off com. eBay for uh, untold pesos. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can get it on Amazon, though, or play.com. Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. You don't have to buy there it on go, the folks. black market. You can order it on there, and, and believe me, it will come because I have, you know, people in Europe do buy it. So. Tracking it, okay. So yeah, you can get that. I mean, we do sell them at gigs, but we sold out on the, we sold out on the British tour, so we didn't bring any. But if you read Motley Crue's The Dirt or David Lee Ross' uh, book Crazy from the Heat, one of the best rock and roll stories ever written, read Biff's book, pick it up, get it. Yeah, it's it's it's. You know, I like it. It's pretty cool. It's more. Uh, you know, it's a, it's sort of how I tell it, really. It's yeah. it's you know, it's pretty cool. So yeah, get the book. Yeah. 
I will do. And uh, Wheels of Steel now is a part of uh, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. How did that all come about? Well, I, I think the guy that runs um, it's uh, what's the company called? It's called. Uh, is it EA? Is it? Is EA? it Rockstar Games? Oh, Rockstar. Yeah, the case. guy that runs yeah. it's a huge Saxon fan, and. Um, they, I think they they got in touch with SPV and said, you know, how much would it cost to get that song? So I don't know what they got for it, but we'll know later. But yeah, anyway, they got, they, they 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 let them have the song, and then um, we got uh, Thomas, our manager, got a phone call and said, uh, you know, we're we're having an end of uh, end of game. You know, the game's finished. We're having a party in Edinburgh in Scotland. Can you play? So we said, yes. Oh, so you played the release? Yeah, like we the, played the, the release party wow. in front of a thousand uh, computer programmers. Yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> one, of, one of them knew who we were or something, you know. But, but have been listening to your song for hours a day. Yeah, like listen to just, it, though. Yeah. We, we played it. We, we, luckily for them, or unluckily, I don't know. Yeah. Luckily for them, we were passing through with the full production, you know, the eagle and the lights. So we put everything into this venue. And it was a, wow. it was a, it's a little bit jaw dropping for these uh, you know young computer programmers, yeah. and um, it was great. You know we were playing and they were like going nuts, but I don't think they knew who we were until we played Wheels of Steel. We played Wheels of Steel, they went absolutely <laughs> bonkers. You know, it's like, but like man, like a true pro, I left it right to the end, so it was cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, Biff, welcome back to America. It's so glo- it's so awesome to have Saxon back in America. It's been a while, and we wish you uh, a great show tonight. We're looking forward to it, and uh, we'd love to get a Talking Metal ID from you, saying your name, your band, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Yeah, cool. Um, hi, this is Biff Buffer from Saxon. You're listening to Talking Metal. Welcome to the labyrinth. Rock off your eyebrows. Okay. Awesome. Thank you.
拒绝。